12. El him he shall know when I have broken two spears upon him, for I and the knight he smote down yesterday, and whatever side he takes, I will take the other. So when they told him that Sir Palamides would be on King Caradu's side for he was kindred to King Arthur, then will I be on the King of North Wales' side, said he, but else would I be on my lord King Arthur's. Then on the morrow, when King Arthur was come, the heralds blew unto the tourney, and King Caradu's jousted with the King of a hundred knights and fell before him, and then came in King Arthur's knights and bare back those of North Wales, but anon Sir Tristram came to aid them and bare back the battle and fought so mightily that none could stand against him, for he smote down on the right and on the left, so that all the knights and common people shouted his praise, since I bear arms, said King Arthur, never saw I a knight do more marvelous deeds, than the king of the hundred knights and those of North Wales, set upon twenty knights who were of Sir Lancelot's kin, who fought all together, none failing the others, when Sir Tristram beheld their nobleness and valor, he marveled much, well may he be valiant and full of prowess, said he, who hath such noble knights for kindred. So, when he had looked on them a while, he thought it shame to see two hundred men assailing twenty, and riding to the king of a hundred knights. He said, I pray thee, Sir King, leave your fighting with those twenty knights, for ye be too many and they be too few, for ye shall gain no honor if ye win, and that I see verily ye will not do unless ye slay them, but if ye will not stay. I will ride with them and help them. Nay, said the king, ye shall not do so, for full gladly I will do you courtesy. And with that he withdrew his knights. Then Sir Tristram rode his way into the forest, that no man might know him. And King Arthur caused the heralds to blow that the tourney should end that day. And he gave the king of North Wales the prize, because Sir Tristram was on his side. And in all the field there was such a cry that the sound thereof was heard two miles away. The knight with the black shield hath won the field. Alas, said King Arthur, where is that knight? It is shame to let him thus escape us. Then he comforted his knights, and said, Be not dismayed, my friends, howbeit ye have lost the day, be of good cheer, tomorrow I myself will be in the field, and fare with you. So they all rested that night, and on the morrow the heralds blew unto the field. So the king of North Wales and the king of a hundred knights encountered with King Caradus and the king of Ireland, and overthrew them. With that came King Arthur, and did mighty deeds of arms, and overthrew the king of North Wales and his fellows, and put twenty valiant knights to the words. And on came in Sir Palamides, and made great fight upon King Arthur's side. But Sir Tristram rode furiously against him, and Sir Palamides was thrown from his horse. Then cried King Arthur, Knight of the Black Shield, keep thyself, and as he spake he came upon him, and smote him from his saddle to the ground, and so passed on to other knights, then Sir Palamides having now another horse rushed at Sir Tristram, as he was on foot, thinking to run over him, but he was aware of him, and stepped aside, and grasped Sir Palamides by the arms, and pulled him off his horse, then they rushed together with their swords, and many stood still to gaze on them, and Sir Tristram smote Sir Palamides with three mighty strokes upon the helm, crying at each stroke, Take this for Sir Tristram's sake. And with that Sir Palamides fell to the earth, and on the king of North Wales brought Sir Tristram another horse, and Sir Palamides found one also. Then did they joust again with passing rage, for both by now were like mad lions. But Sir Tristram avoided his spear, and seized Sir Palamides by the neck, and pulled him from his saddle 
and bore him onward ten spears length, and so let him fall. Then King Arthur drew forth his sword and smote the spear asunder, and gave Sir Tristram two or three sore strokes ere he could get at his own sword, but when he had it in his hand he mightily assailed the king, with that eleven knights of Lancelot's kin went forth against him, but he smote them all down to the earth, so that men marveled at his deeds, and the cry was now so great that Sir Lancelot got a spear in his hand, and came down to assay Sir Tristram, saying, Knight with the black shield, make ready. When Sir Tristram heard him he leveled his spear, and both stooping their heads, they ran together mightily, as it had been thunder, and Sir Tristram's spear brake short, but Sir Lancelot struck him with a deep wound in the side and broke his spear, yet overthrew him not. Therewith Sir Tristram, smarting at his wound, drew forth his sword, and rushing at Sir Lancelot, gave him mighty strokes upon the helm, so that the sparks flew from it and Sir Lancelot stooped his head down to the saddle-bow, but then Sir Tristram turned and left the field, for he felt his wound so grievous that he deemed he should soon die. Then did Sir Lancelot hold the field against all comers, and put the king of North Wales and his party to the worse, and because he was the last knight in the field the prize was given him, but he refused to take it, and when the cry was raised, Sir Lancelot hath won the day, he cried out, Nay. But Sir Tristram is the victor, for he first began and last endured, and so hath he done each day, and all men honored Lancelot more for his knightly words than if he had taken the prize. Thus was the tournament ended, and King Arthur departed to Carleon, for the Whitsun feast was now nigh come, and all the knights adventurous went their ways, and many sought Sir Tristram in the forest whither he had gone, and at last Sir Lancelot found him, and brought him to King Arthur's court as hath been told already, chapter XII The Quest of the Sangreal, and the adventures of Sir Percival, Sir Bors, and Sir Galahad after these things, Merlin fell into a dotage of love for a damsel of the Lady of the Lake, and would let her have no rest, but followed her in every place, and ever she encouraged him, and made him welcome till she had learned all his crafts that she desired to know, then upon a time she went with him beyond the sea to the land of Benvik, and as they went he showed her many wonders, till at length she was afraid, and would fain have been delivered from him, and as they were in the forest of Broceliande, they sat together under an oak tree, and the damsel prayed to see all that charm whereby men might be shut up yet alive in rocks or trees, but he refused her a long time, fearing to let her know, yet in the end, her prayers and kisses overcame him, and he told her all, then did she make him great cheer, but anon, as he lay down to sleep, she softly rose, and walked about him waving her hands and muttering the charm, and presently enclosed him fast within the tree whereby he slept, and therefrom nevermore he could by any means come out for all the crafts that he could do, and so she departed and left Merlin, at the vigil of the next feast of Pentecost, when all the knights of the round table were met together at Camelot, and had heard mass, and were about to sit down to meet. There rode into the hall a fair lady on horseback, who went straight up to King Arthur where he sat upon his throne, and reverently saluted him. God be with thee, fair damsel, quoth the king, what desirest thou of me? I pray thee tell me, Lord, she answered, where Sir Lancelot Island, yonder may ye see him, said King Arthur. Then went she to Sir Lancelot and said, Sir, I salute thee in King Pell's name and require thee to come with me into the forest hereby. Then asked he her with whom she dwelt, 
and what she wished of him. I dwell with King Pels, said she, whom Balinurus so sorely wounded when he smote the dolorous stroke. It is he who hath sent me to call thee. I will go with thee gladly, said Sir Lancelot, and bade his squire straightway saddle his horse and bring his armor. Then came the queen to him and said, Sir Lancelot, will you leave me thus at this high feast? Madam, replied the damsel, by dinner time tomorrow he shall be with you. If I thought not, said the queen, he should not go with thee by my goodwill. Then Sir Lancelot and the lady rode forth till they came to the forest, and in a valley there are found an abbey of nuns, whereby a squire stood ready to open the gates. When they had entered, and descended from their horses, a joyful crowd pressed round Sir Lancelot and heartily saluted him, and led him to the abbess's chamber, and unarmed him, and on he saw his cousins likewise there, Sir Bors and Sir Lionel, who also made great joy at seeing him, and said, By what adventure art thou here? For we thought to have seen thee at Camelot tomorrow. A damsel brought me here, said he, but as yet I know not for what service. As they thus talked twelve nuns came in who brought with them a youth so passing fair and well made, that in all the world his match could not be found. His name was Galahad, and though he knew him not, nor Lancelot him, Sir Lancelot was his father. Sir, said the nuns, we bring thee here this child whom we have nourished from his youth, and pray thee to make him a knight, for from no word of your hand can he receive that order. Then Sir Lancelot, looking on the youth, saw that he was seemly and demure as a dove, with every feature good and noble, and thought he never had beheld a better-fashioned man of his years. Cometh this desire from himself, said he, yea, answered Galahad and all the nuns, tomorrow, then, in reverence for the feast, he shall have his wish, said Sir Lancelot, and the next day at the hour of prime, he knighted him, and said, God make of thee as good a man as he hath made thee beautiful. Then with Sir Lionel and Sir Bors he returned to the court, and found all gone to the minster to hear service. When they came into the banquet hall each knight and baron found his name written in some seat in letters of gold, as, here ought to sit Sir Lionel, here ought to sit Sir Gawain, and so forth, and in the perilous seat, at the high center of the table, a name was also written, whereat they marveled greatly, for no living man had ever yet dared sit upon that seat, save one and him a flame leaped forth and drew down under earth, so that he was no more seen. Then came Sir Lancelot and read the letters in that seat, and said, My counsel is that this inscription be now covered up until the night be come who shall achieve this great adventure. So they made a veil of silk and put it over the letters. In the meanwhile came Sir Gawain to the court and told the king he had a message to him from beyond the sea, from Merlin, for, said he, as I rode through the forest of Broceliande but five days since, I heard the voice of Merlin speaking to me from the midst of an oak tree, whereat, in great amazement, I besought him to come forth, but he, with many groans, replied he never more might do so, for that none could free him, save the damsel of the lake, who had enclosed him there by his own spells which he had taught her, but go, said he, to King Arthur, and tell him, that he now prepare his knights and all his table round to seek the Sangreal, for the time is come when it shall be achieved. When Sir Gawain had spoken thus, King Arthur sat pensive in spirit, and mused deeply of the Holy Grail and what saintly knight should come who might achieve it, and on he bade them hasten to set on the banquet. Sir, said Sir Key, the Seneschal, if ye go now to meet ye will break the ancient custom of your court, 
for never have ye dined at this high feast till ye have seen some strange adventure. Thou sayest truly, said the king, but my mind was full of wonders and musings, till I bethought me not of mine old custom. As they stood speaking thus, a squire ran in and cried, Lord, I bring thee marvelous tidings. What be they? said King Arthur. Lord, said he, hereby at the river is a marvelous great stone, which I myself saw swim down hitherwards upon the water, and in it there is set a sword, and ever the stone heaveth and swayeth on the water, but float at down no further with the stream. I will go and see it, said the king. So all the knights went with him, and when they came to the river, there surely found they a mighty stone of red marble floating on the water, as the squire had said, and therein stuck a fair and rich sword, on the pommel whereof were precious stones wrought skillfully with gold into these words, No man shall take me hence but he by whose side I should hang, and he shall be the best knight in the world. When the king read this, he turned round to Sir Lancelot, and said, Fair Sir, this sword ought surely to be thine, for thou art the best knight in all the world. But Lancelot answered soberly, Certainly, Sir, it is not for me, nor will I have the hardihood to set my hand upon it, for he that pusheth it and faileth to achieve it shall one day be wounded by it mortally. But I doubt not, Lord, this day will show the greatest marvels that we yet have seen, for now the time is fully come, as Merlin hath forewarned us. When all the prophecies about the Sangreal shall be fulfilled, then stepped Sir Gawain forward and pulled at the sword, but could not move it, and after him Sir Percival, to keep him fellowship in any peril he might suffer, but no other knight durst be so hardy as to try. Now may ye go to your dinner, said Sir Key, for a marvelous adventure ye have had. So all returned from the river, and every knight sat down in his own place and the high feast and banquet then was sumptuously begun, and all the hall was full of laughter and loud talk and jests, and running to and fro of squires who served their knights, and noise of jollity and mirth. Then suddenly befell a wondrous thing, for all the doors and windows of the hall shut violently of themselves, and made thick darkness, and presently there came a fair and gentle light from out the perilous seat, and filled the palace with its beams. Then a dead silence fell on all the knights, and each man anxiously beheld his neighbor. But King Arthur rose and said, Lords and fair knights, have ye no fear, but rejoice, we have seen strange things today, but stranger yet remain, for now I know we shall today see him who may sit in the siege perilous, and shall achieve the sangreal, for as ye all well know, that holy vessel, wherefrom at the supper of our Lord before his death he drank the wine with his disciples, hath been held ever since the holiest treasure of the world, and wheresoever it hath rested peace and prosperity have rested with it on the land, but since the dolorous stroke which Dallin gave King Pels none have seen it, for heaven, wroth with that presumptuous blow, hath yet it done nowhere, yet somewhere in the world it still may be, and maybe it is left to us, and to this noble order of the table round, to find and bring it home, and make of this our realm the happiest in the earth. Many great quests and perilous adventures have ye all taken and achieved, but this high quest the only shall attain who hath clean hands and a pure heart, and valor and hardihood beyond all other men. While the king spoke there came in softly an old man robed all in white, leading with him a young knight clad in red from top to toe, but without armor or shield, and having by his side an empty scabbard, the old man went up to the king, and said, Lord, here I bring thee this young knight of royal lineage and of the blood of Joseph of Arimathea, 
by whom the marvels of thy court shall fully be accomplished. The king was right glad at his words, and said, Sir, ye be right heartily welcome, and the young knight also. Then the old man put on Sir Galahad for it was he a crimson robe trimmed with fine ermine, and took him by the hand and led him to the perilous seat, and lifting up the silken cloth which hung upon it, read these words written in gold letters, this is the seat of Sir Galahad, the good knight, Sir, said the old man, this place is thine. Then sat Sir Galahad down firmly and surely, and said to the old man, Sir, ye may now go your way, for ye have done well and truly all ye were commanded, and commend me to my grandsire, King Pels, and say that I shall see him soon. So the old man departed with a retinue of twenty noble squires, but all the knights of the round table marveled at Sir Galahad, and at his tender age, and at his sitting there so surely in the perilous seat. Then the king led Sir Galahad forth from the palace, to show him the adventure of the floating stone. Here, said he, is as great a marvel as I ever saw, and right good knights have tried and failed to gain that sword. I marvel not thereat, said Galahad, for this adventure is not theirs, but mine, and for the certainty I had thereof, I brought no sword with me, as thou mayst see here by this empty scabbard. And on he laid his hand upon the sword, and lightly drew it from the stone and put it in his sheath, and said, This sword was that enchanted one which erst belonged to the good knight, Sir Balin, wherewith he slew through piteous mistake his brother Balin, who also slew him at the same time, all which great woe befell him through the dolorous stroke he gave my grandsire, King Pels, the wound whereof is not yet whole, nor shall be till I heal him. As he stood speaking thus, they saw a lady riding swiftly down the river's bank towards them, on a white palfrey, who, saluting the king and queen, said, Lord King, nation the hermit sendeth thee word that to thee shall come today the greatest honor and worship that hath yet ever befallen a king of Britain, for this day shall the Sangreal appear in thy house. With that the damsel took her leave, and departed the same way she came. Now, said the king, I know that from today the quest of the Sangreal shall begin, and all ye of the round table will be scattered so that never more shall I see ye again together as ye are now. Let me then see a joust and tournament amongst ye for the last time before ye go. So they all took their harness and met together in the meadows by Camelot, and the queen and all her ladies sat in a tower to see. Then Sir Galahad, at the prayer of the king and queen, put on a coat of light armor, and a helmet, but shield he would take none, and grasping a lance, he drove into the middle of the press of knights, and began to break spears marvelously, so that all men were full of wonder and in so short a time he had surmounted and exceeded the rest, save Sir Lancelot and Sir Percival, that he took the chief wordership of the field. Then the king and all the court and fellowship of knights went back to the palace, and so to Evensong in the great minster, a royal and goodly company, and after that sat down to supper in the hall, every knight in his own seat, as they had been before, and on suddenly burst overhead the cracking and crying of great peals of thunder till the palace walls were shaken sorely, and they thought to see them riven all to pieces, and in the midst of the blast there entered in a sunbeam, clearer by seven times than ever they saw day, and a marvelous great glory fell upon them all, then each night, looking on his neighbor, found his face fairer than he had ever seen, and so all standing on their feet they gazed as dumb men on each other, not knowing what to say, then entered into the hall the sangreal, borne aloft without hands through the midst of the sunbeam, and covered with white samite, so that none might see it, 
and all the hall was filled with perfume and incense, and every knight was fed with the food he best loved, and when the holy vessel had been thus borne through the hall, it suddenly departed, no man saw whither, when they recovered breath to speak, King Arthur first rose up, and yielded thanks to God and to our Lord, then Sir Gawain sprang up and said, now have we all been fed by miracle with whatsoever food we thought of or desired, but with our eyes we have not seen the blessed vessel whence it came, so carefully and preciously it was concealed, therefore, I make a vow, that from tomorrow I shall labor twelve months and a day in quest of the Sangreal, and longer if need be, nor will I come again into this court until mine eyes have seen it evidently, when he had spoken thus, night after night rose up and vowed himself to the same quest, till the most part of the round table had thus sworn, but when King Arthur heard them all, he could not refrain his eyes from tears, and said, Sir Gawain, Sir Gawain, thou hast set me in great sorrow, for I fear me my true fellowship shall never meet together here again, and surely never Christian King had such a company of worthy knights around his table at one time, and when the Queen and her ladies and gentlewomen heard the vows, they had such grief and sorrow as no tongue could tell, and Queen Guinevere cried out, I marvel that my lord will suffer them to depart from him, and many of the ladies who loved knights would have gone with them, but were forbidden by the hermit nation, who sent this message to all who had sworn themselves to the quest, take with ye no lady nor gentlewoman, for into so high a service as ye go in no thought but of our lord and heaven may enter. On the morrow morning all the knights rose early, and when they were fully armed, save shields and helms, they went in with the king and queen to service in the minster. Then the king counted all who had taken the adventure on themselves, and found them a hundred and fifty knights of the round table, and so they all put on their helms, and rode away together in the midst of cries and lamentations from the court, and from the ladies, and from all the town. But the queen went alone to her chamber, that no man might see her sorrow, and Sir Lancelot followed her to say farewell. When she saw him she cried out, Oh! Sir Lancelot, thou hast betrayed me, thou hast put me to death thus to depart and leave my lord the king. Ah, madam, said he, be not displeased or angry, for I shall come again as soon as I can with honor. Alas, said she, that ever I saw thee, but he that suffered death upon the cross for all mankind be to thee safety and good conduct, and to all thy company. Then Sir Lancelot saluted her and the king, and went forth with the rest and came with them that night to Castle Vagon, where they abode, and on the morrow they departed from each other on their separate ways, every night taking the way that pleased him best. Now Sir Galahad went forth without a shield, and rode so four days without adventure, and on the fourth day, after evensong, he came to an abbey of white monks, where he was received in the house, and led into a chamber, and there he was unarmed, and met two knights of the round table, King Bagdemagus. And Sir Ewain, Sirs, said Sir Galahad, what adventure hath brought ye here, within this place, as we are told? They answered, There is a shield no man may bear around his neck without receiving sore mischance, or death within three days. Tomorrow, said King Bagdemagus, I shall attempt the adventure, and if I fail, do thou, Sir Galahad, take it up after me. I will willingly, said he, for as ye see I have no shield as yet. So on the morrow they arose and heard mass, and afterwards King Bagdemagus asked where the shield was kept. Then a monk led him behind the altar, where the shield hung, as white as any snow, and with a blood-red cross in the midst of it. Sir, 
said the monk. This shield should hang from no knight's neck unless he be the worthiest in the world, I warn ye. Therefore, knights, consider well before ye dare to touch it. Well, said King Magdemagus, I know well that I am far from the best knight in all the world, yet shall I make the trial, and so he took the shield, and bore it from the monastery, if it please thee, said he to Sir Galahad, abide here till thou hearest how I speed, I will abide thee, said he, then taking with him a squire who might return with any tidings to Sir Galahad, the king rode forth, and before he had gone two miles, he saw in a fair valley a hermitage, and a knight who came forth dressed in white armor, horse and all, who rode fast against him, when they encountered, Magdemagus brake his spear upon the white knight's shield, but was himself struck through the shoulder with a sore wound, and hurled down from his horse, then the white knight alighting, came and took the white shield from the king, and said, Thou hast done great folly, for this shield ought never to be borne but by one who hath no living fear, and turning to the squire, he said, Bear thou this shield to the good knight, Sir Galahad, and greet him well from me, in whose name shall I greet him? said the squire, take thou no heed of that, he answered, it is not for thee or any earthly man to know, now tell me, fair sir, or, at the least, said the squire, why may this shield be never born except its wearer come to injury or death, because it shall belong to no man save its rightful owner, Galahad, replied the knight, then the squire went to his master, and found him wounded knight to death, wherefore he fetched his horse, and bore him back with him to the abbey, and there they laid him in a bed, and looked to his wounds, and when he had lain many days grievously sick, he at the last barely escaped with his life. Sir Galahad, said the squire, the knight who overthrew King Magdemagus sent you greeting, and bade you bear this shield. Now blessed be God and fortune, said Sir Galahad, and hung the shield about his neck, and armed him, and rode forth, and on he met the white knight by the hermitage, and each saluted courteously the other, Sir or said Sir Galahad, this shield I bear hath surely a full marvelous history, thou sayest rightly, answered he, that shield was made in the days of Joseph of Arimathea, the gentle knight who took our Lord down from the cross, he, when he left Jerusalem with his kindred, came to the country of King Evelake, who warred continually with one Ptolem, and when, by the teaching of Joseph, King Evelake became a Christian, this shield was made for him in our Lord's name, and through its aid King Ptolem was defeated, for when King Evelake met him next in battle, he hid it in a veil, and suddenly uncovering it, he showed his enemies the figure of a bleeding man nailed to a cross, at sight of which they were discomfited and fled, presently after that, a man whose hand was smitten off touched the cross upon the shield, and had his hand restored to him, and many other miracles it worked, but suddenly the cross that was upon it vanished away and on both Joseph and King Evelake came to Britain, and by the preaching of Joseph the people were made Christians, and when at length he lay upon his deathbed, King Evelake begged of him some token ere he died, then, calling for his shield, he dipped his finger in his own blood, for he was bleeding fast, and none could staunch the wound, and marked that cross upon it, saying, This cross shall ever show as bright as now, and the last of my lineage shall wear this shield about his neck, and go forth to all the marvelous deeds he will achieve. When the white knight had thus spoken he vanished suddenly away, and Sir Galahad returned to the abbey. As he alighted, came a monk, and prayed him to go see a tomb in the churchyard, wherefrom came such a great and hideous noise, 
that none could hear it but they went nigh mad, or lost all strength, and Suror, said he, I deem it is a fiend, lead me thither, said Sir Galahad, when they were to come near the place, now, said the monk, go thou to the tomb, and lift it up, and Galahad, nothing afraid, quickly lifted up the stone, and forthwith came out a foul smoke, and from the midst thereof leaked up the loveliest figure that ever he had seen in the likeness of man, and Galahad blessed himself, for he knew it was a fiend of hell, then he heard a voice crying out, Oh, Galahad, I cannot tear thee as I would, I see so many angels round thee, that I may not come at thee, then the fiend suddenly disappeared with a marvelous great cry, and Sir Galahad, looking in the tomb, saw there a body all armed, with a sword beside it, now, fair brother, said he to the monk, let us remove this cursed body, which is not fit to lie in a churchyard, for when it lived, a false and perjured Christian man dwelt in it, cast it away, and there shall come no more hideous noises from the tomb, and now must I depart, he added, for I have much in hand, and am upon the holy quest of the Sangreal, with many more good knights, so he took his leave, and rode many journeys backwards and forwards as adventure would lead him, and at last one day he departed from a castle without first hearing mass, which was it ever his custom to hear before he left his lodging, and on he found a ruined chapel on a mountain, and went in and kneeled before the altar, and prayed for wholesome counsel what to do, and as he prayed he heard a voice, which said, Depart, adventurous knight, unto the maiden's castle, and redress the violence and wrongs there done. Hearing these words he cheerfully arose, and mounted his horse, and rode but half a mile, when he saw before him a strong castle, with deep ditches round it, and a fair river running past, and seeing an old churl hard by, he asked him what men called that castle, fair sir, or, said he, it is the maiden's castle, it is a cursed place, said Galahad, and all its masters are but felons, full of mischief and hardness and shame, for that good reason, said the old man, thou wert well advised to turn thee back, for that same reason, quoth Sir Galahad, will I the more certainly ride on, then, looking at his armor carefully, to see that nothing failed him, he went forward, and presently there met him seven damsels, who cried out, Sir Knight, thou ridest in great peril, for thou hast two waters to pass over, why should I not pass over them, said he, and rode straight on, and on he met a squire, who said, Sir Knight, the masters of this castle defy thee, and bid thee go no further, till thou showest them thy business here, fair fellow, said Sir Galahad, I am come here to destroy their wicked customs, if that be thy purpose, answered he, thou wilt have much to do, go thou, said Galahad, and hasten with my message, in a few minutes after rode forth furiously from the gateways of the castle seven knights, all brothers, and crying out, Knight, keep thee, bore down all at once upon Sir Galahad, but thrusting forth his spear, he smote the foremost to the earth, so that his neck was almost broken, and warded with his shield the spears of all the others, which every one break off from it, and shivered into peak, 